Jesus comes on a white horse, but he's got many crowns, it says. So that's going to be a difference between uh, this rider on the white horse and the rider in Revelation 6. It says his, the rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and makes war. So this is a preliminary, um, a prequel, if you will, to what's going to happen. Because, you know, there's going to be a lot of people, and there always has been, that say, well, how can a loving God, you know, cast people into to hell? How can a loving God uh, tell the Israelites to, to kill the women, children, and the animals uh, when they come into the promised land? And what they don't realize is they don't realize the evilness that those cultures were under. They were totally, completely given over to evil with no hope of redemption. I mean, God knows, right? He knows who's going to accept him and who's not going to accept him. So if he makes a, a, a judgment against a people, he knows uh, what they're... God knows <clears throat> the ifs, ands, or buts, right? When we look at our lives and we think about what we've been through, each one of us personally in our lives. And I don't know about you guys, but th there are things in my life I would definitely change. Okay, I mean, I just want to. People that say, I wouldn't change a thing. I'm thinking, okay, gee, you're either rich, handsome, or too suntanned. I don't know which. Uh, but uh, yeah, I would change some things. But you know what's amazing is that God knows if we would have taken this path, he knows what the end result would have been if we would have done that and we would have gone here or do that. And, you know, I mean, we took the path that we took, right? And God knew that. And uh, good, bad, or ugly, that's what we took. And uh, I guess the thing that we all want to hope is that we learn from whatever mistakes we made, right? Um, so in verse 12, it says, His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is addressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And this is interesting because it says the armies of heaven. And yet, in the next verse, we're going to find out that his armies don't do any fighting. Jesus does all the fighting, right? And how does he fight? The sword that comes out of his mouth, huh? The word of God, yeah. So the armies are just kind of along for the ride, really, to be honest with you. They, they don't do anything except just... I mean, he doesn't even need backup, so... Yes, Bill? I think so. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because the, the, the fine linen, white, and, uh, represents the righteousness of believers, etc. So, um, we, we might be here in this uh, riding on our white horses. It says, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress on fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And you'll remember from the gospel, um, uh, it might have been in more than one gospel, I just don't remember, how that it says he's going to separate the, the nations, the sheep from the goats, okay? And then he's going to tell the sheep, you know, come and, and, uh, and uh, uh, be accepted into the, into the kingdom, etc. And they'll, uh, because you fed, uh, you fed me when I was in when I was uh, hungry, you visited me when I was in prison. You clothed me when I needed clothes. And they said, well, when, we did, when did we do that? And when you did it to the least one of mine. And really, that is a, a tribulation scripture because in the tribulation, the Jews and the Christians are going to be persecuted. They're going to be the target of the evil forces of the Antichrist, etc. And so there will be nations or peoples that will 
give, okay, give and help God's Jewish people. And that's going to be the scriptures that he's going to use to say, you did it when you did it for the least of one of mine, you did it for me. Are you with me on that? You understand what I'm saying here? Okay. Um, now, it says, He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried out in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people free and slave, small and great. And you can compare this with uh, Ezekiel chapter 39, verses 17 to 24, where it gives an account that's very, very similar to this, okay? In the war of Gog and Magog. Verse 17, and I saw, uh, let me see where, I'm in verse 19. <clears throat> Then I saw the beast, this is the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And we're, you know, we look at, we look at the, the scriptures that say that they refuse to repent, right? in Revelation, and it amazes us, right? I mean, we were like amazed. Are you kidding with all these signs and all these different things, and, and they're refusing to repent? But yet, you know, if we look at the populace of the world today, and we look at the hypocrisy that's going on, you can see the seeds that are being sown for this very day. Because, you know, I was, I, was, I was watching on TV today and, you know, I mean, the, the, uh, the killing there at that little, uh, that little elementary school was terrible. Absolutely, I mean, as evil as evil can be, right? And yet there are these people who get up and on their soapbox and we need to, you know, control guns and we need to, we need to protect the children. And these are the same people that are voting for abortion. Same exact people. So, I mean, how hypocritical is that? That's pretty hypocritical, if you ask me. Okay, I don't want to get into politics. Maybe I do. I don't know. All right, chapter 20, verse 1. John's still speaking, and I saw an angel. This is amazing because when we look at the original language of the word saw here, John is telling us he was an eyewitness. We, we have an eyewitness and an earwitness account. John saw and he heard, all right? Then I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan. This is the second time that uh, Satan is described in these exact terms. The other time is in Revelation chapter 12. And bound him for a thousand years. <clears throat> he threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. Now what does this tell you about Satan? It tells me that he's not as powerful as everybody gives him a lot of credit for. You know, he is powerful. I mean, he's, he's one of the highest of God's creations, gone bad. But they're going to take a big old chain and they're going to chain him up, open up the abyss, throw him in and lock it up over him. And he's not going to go anywhere for a thousand years. It says after, uh, let's see, I'm in verse... At the end of three. End of three, yeah, okay. <clears throat> after that... 
So after the thousand years, the word thousand in the Greek is mille, and that's where we get our word millennium. Okay, so millennium means a thousand years. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Why must he be set free? Well, I explained it to you last week that there will be people that will be born to during the thousand-year millennium with free wills and an old sin nature, okay? And they will need to have a choice whether they're going to worship God, obey Jesus Christ because he's going to be sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem or not. One thing this does say to us, though, is that the, the millennium is going to be significantly different lifestyle. People are going to live for a thousand years. People did it before, and people are going to do it again. Yes? That was my question. Oh, good. I have, I have ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it says, verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been, been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus. So we're going to assume that these are the tribulation martyrs. And because of the word of God, they had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. Think about how hard that's going to be, okay? In Europe, right now, even right now, if you do not produce a vaccine card, you cannot get into restaurants, you cannot get into most grocery stores. I mean, yeah, yeah, in Europe. And what's that? You can't get, on the you can't get in public transportation. Now think of just... That's just a prelude to what is going to happen, and that's making life tough. You can imagine when people refuse to take that mark of the beast, whatever it is, and they can't buy or sell. I mean, it's, they're going to have to go to some type of a barter system, and there will have to be, you know, God's going to have to provide for his people. I mean, that's just all there is to it. God will provide. God, God always tells us and promises us he will provide for us. And if he does not provide the food, then I guess he wants me to die and go to heaven. Right? Okay? I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen to us? We die and go to heaven. See, that's, in my opinion, that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is to live till you're 105 and be all crippled up and... and Lord, can you take me today, please? No, that would be way worse. All right. So we are in, in the verse four. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony for Jesus, and because of the word of God they had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their forehead or hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. That is when the uh, judgment is going to, certain judgment is going to happen. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. Now remember something. If you're born twice, you'll only die once, physically. If you're born once, you're going to die twice. Okay, Physical and then spiritual, obviously. Verse 7, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp 
of God's people, the city he loves. So we're going to assume that's Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will, oh, I love this. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You're going to get what's coming to you, dude. You know? And you know, I... A part of me wants to be there. You know, to see them get thrown into the lake of the fire. But then the other part of me wants to be, you know, having fun with whatever. So, I don't know, whatever God, whatever God wants, I guess, is what will happen. Say the what? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's very true. Then John goes on in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened, another book was opened, which is the book of life. The, de the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And I, and, and I want to just say this. It might be easier to understand this if we say the dead were judged according to what they had done with the witness that was given to them or with, with the gospel that was preached to them. Because if I'm a betting man... I'm betting that God has got it written down every single time the gospel was presented to every single one of us, and in this case, believers, so that there will be no excuse. Remember back on May 23rd, blah, blah, blah? Yeah. It says the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, because remember, you can't get to heaven on works, all right? Faith in Christ is what powers the boat. And the wake that comes off the boat is the works that come from that. Okay? The wake does not precede the boat. The boat always causes the wake. Faith is always responsible for our works. Our works are not responsible for our faith. James says, you know, in his, in his letter, he says... Listen, I'll tell you what, you show me your faith, uh, let me read it, let me read it, just, I don't want to screw it up, I want to make sure we get it right, in, in James chapter, chapter of, uh, 2, he says, show me your faith without deeds, okay, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith, but what I do. You believe that there is one God good. Even the de demons believe that and shudder. So, for us to say we have faith and yet have absolutely nothing to show for the faith, you know, only God will know whether that faith is genuine or not. I mean, he's the one that knows everything and let's hope it is. You know, there's going to be if you go back to first, Second Corinthians chapter three, starting around verse eleven, uh, we see the bema seat judgment of Christians, and that's the judgment unto rewards, where our works will be judged, and if our works are built of wood, hay, and stubble, the fire is going to destroy those works, and you're going to be left in the smoking section in heaven. Okay, but if your works are that remain after the fire are precious stone, gold, and silver, then those works will be what are rewarded, all right? And I, I'm sure that all of us have probably got a little bit of both, you know, in our repertoire, in our, uh, in our uh, file, but um, the good news is that uh, it says in, in uh, Corinthians that even if the works are burned up, you will be saved. That's what it says. Yeah. Now, we are in chapter 20, verse 13. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead 
that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Remember in chapter 1 of Revelation, Jesus said, I have the keys of death and Hades. They're with him. He's got those keys. It says, the lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Very, very sobering. Chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now this is interesting because you see it says the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now listen to what Peter says in chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 10. In fact, I'm going to start at verse 8, okay? Listen to this. Peter says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord does not have a wristwatch on his arm. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. That's one thing we need to, to learn when we're thinking about our prayers, you know. Lord... I've been praying this for two months now. No. <laughs> I think it's about time you answered it, really. You know. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But, he says in verse 10, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Now, we're... we're, we're in Revelation chapter uh, 21, we're going to, going to, uh, this is touching on this. It says, the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. You see, the first worldwide judgment was the flood. All right, right? And God said, what did God say? He says, I'm not going to flood the earth again, I promise you. The next worldwide judgment will be with fire. And the fire will cleanse the, the earth and it will be laid bare. It says in verse 11, Peter's talking, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Now Peter's going to tell us. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. How can we speed God's coming? Okay, we can look forward to it. And what else do you think we can do? For sure, huh? Because you know, if we understand this right, the rapture will not occur until that last Gentile Believer says, yes, I accept the Lord Jesus in my heart. So let's find that dude, okay? <laughs> or do this. Let's find them and let's get them preached to so we can get this rapture going, okay? Um, and then Peter goes on, he says, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote, you with the wisdom that God gave him. So, Back to Revelation 21, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So he says, There is no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. Now, are you getting this? He didn't, it doesn't say the dwelling of Jesus is with men. We, we just take that for granted. The dwelling of God is with men. You see, when Moses was up on the mountain and he wanted to see God, and God said, no, he says, man, you, can't, you, you just can't stand it. You can't do it. You won't live. And so what he did is he hid Moses, told Moses to hide in, in a cleft there in a little cave, and he kind of shielded him when God's glory came by. Well, we will actually have the facilities to be able to see God's glory. We will see God face to face because we will have the, the new body. We will have all of the facilities that we need to be able to look on God and not be toasted. Okay? And so let's read verse 2 again because this is interesting. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now, let's stop there for just a minute because it says here in Re uh, Revelation chapter 11, and starting in verse 1, it says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Well, and then somewhere along the line, I don't remember exactly where it was, he tells the measurements in the old language. And the measurements roughly work out to be about 1,500 miles squared. Some think it could be a pyramid. Um, but the bottom of it, for sure, is 1,500 miles squared. Now, that's like from here to North Dakota. That's a big city, and that's awesome. And now, not only are we going to get a new temple that's going to come down out of heaven, but we're going to get this new Jerusalem, and we're going to be a part of it. It's going to be a city, but he says it's prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now this is interesting because in verse 4, it says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So, who he's wiping these tears from um, is interesting because if we're in, I mean, can you think of any instance in heaven where you would cry? Tears of joy. Tears of joy. Yes, Bill? Okay, now repeat that whole thing over again, would you? I said you can see this entire event as progressive, that it's something that's happening from Christ all the way through the completion, through judgment, when finally we are completely consummation away. But it's not just an event, it's something that's been happening for a long time since the cross, because that's what Jesus is. Jesus is humanity. Well, yeah, and he says, he says, if I go, I prepare a place for you, doesn't he? So God has been preparing this for a long time, a long, long time. And it, <coughs> excuse me, I will say this. When the Bible says your eyes, it says eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of a man the things that God has prepared for those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. When we think about our eyes, I mean, there's this, this, this earth in terms of God's creation is beautiful. Even though it's under a curse, the earth is under a curse, the plants are under a curse, the people are under a curse, but the curse is gonna be lifted. And when the curse is lifted, if it's as beautiful as this, 
under the curse, can you imagine what it would be like without the curse? The answer to that is no, you can't imagine that, okay? And so that's the reason it says that when Jesus was nailed on the cross, he became a curse for us. He took the curse. And so the curse will be lifted. The curse upon the believers is already lifted, isn't it? We're not cursed. We're not cursed by God anymore. And the curse on the plants, the curse on the animals. Think about this. Being able to go up to a, a, a lion or a Bengal tiger and have it be like a big kitty cat in your home. I mean, I can't wait. I think that'd be way cool, you know? I think so. There will be definitely animals in the millennium. Okay? Are you with me there? Okay? So that's, that's heaven on earth, if you will. And when the millennium's over, I mean, Jesus Christ is riding on a white horse, and his saints are riding on white horses, following him, and they're coming from heaven. Yeah. So I'm going to assume that we're going to have animals in heaven, and I think they're going to blow our minds. Yeah, I really do. Yeah. Exactly. No, I think, I think so. I think that we're going to see things, hear things that are we've never seen. But we're not saying that our pet will be there, right? <laughs> Sadly, we don't want to go there, right? Well, I, I'm going to say this, okay? I don't know. I don't know if your pet's going to be there or not. Um, we'll see. The answer is we don't know. We don't know. That's where I'm going, okay? All right, chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. It's gone. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, think about this just for a minute, verse, verse 5. So, I am making everything new. Is that past, present, or future tense? Present tense. Who's he speaking to? John. What time is he speaking at? Somewhere after the first century, somewhere in the first century uh, A.D., Right? And in the first century A.D., roughly 2,000 years ago, present tense, he says, I am making everything new. He's having a lot of time to make it new, and it's, I guarantee it's going to be spectacular. Now, yes. The heavens, that would be our atmosphere. Okay. Our atmosphere and our earth will eventually be passed, passed away and God will create a new heaven and a new earth of which we really don't have very much information about. It's not like he's going to remodel this. not like the fire I, I think for the, the millennium, okay, the thousand year millennium, he will restructure and remodel the earth, what we know right here. But when that thousand years are over, then the new, a new heaven and a new earth will be ours. Don't you guys think that's, yeah, I think that's what's going to happen. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be laying on one of those recliner chairs with one of those drinks of the umbrella in it, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's where I'm going to be. You know, and, and that's the way we look at things, okay? That's, that's, because we only see three-dimensional, but there's probably closer to eight to ten dimensions, and we just don't see the rest of them. And if we're going to have our new bodies that are no water and, and no blood and all that kind of stuff, then, um, no 
so I don't think it's like when you hire Todd Patrick here, he's going to be here in late July. You know, you know or you got to put up with your kitchen being remodeled for two weeks. You know, it's just not like that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, you know, God, God, God spoke things into existence. Not many can just do that again. Well, yeah. Yeah, Bill. Oh, um, I'm not sure where it is, but I know that it says in the New Testament that if any man be in Christ, uh, is a new creature. Yes. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I think that's Ephesians. It is said, and it's true, that Jesus Christ spoke more about hell than he did heaven. And, of course, he did, didn't want anybody to go to hell. And how do you describe the undescribable? In human terms. You know, you just... That's why he says, your eyes have not seen, your ears have not heard, and it hasn't entered into your imaginations the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Well, we go on. So, I'm going to go back to verse 5. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost. No 495 in heaven. From the spring of water, of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And we read that in Revelation chapter 11, you know, where they did the measurements. It says in verse 11 here, it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance. But the brilliance has got to be an understatement here. Its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Well, our jasper is a green stone, clear green stone, basically, isn't it? No. It's not, it's not clear. Okay, so this is really speaking of a diamond, is what this is speaking of, okay? Verse 12, so now he's going to describe this city. It had great high walls with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city has 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. <coughs> you know, and one of the interesting things about this is that will Paul's name be on one of those foundation stones, or will it be Matthias? Matthias is the apostle in Acts chapter 1 or 2 that they cast lots for and said, well, we got two guys and we're going to cast lots and whoever the lot falls on. So they, they kind of, which was common to do in those days, but they kind of gambled on, you know, it's almost like we would say, well, let's flip a coin between which ones are going to be the apostles. And we never hear of Matthias again. Now, Matthias went on to evangelize. Um, I don't know if it was India or where he went, but he went on to be a, an evangelist, but there's no question about that the Apostle Paul was an apostle 
and very possibly the greatest apostle that ever lived. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing his name's going to be on one of the foundation stones. That's my guess. All right, verse 15. So now here's where he's, here's where he's told to measure. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with the rod, and he found it to be 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. So 12,000 stadias is roughly about 1,400 miles. So that's about 1,400 miles square, okay? Um, verse 17, he measured its walls, and its walls were 144 cubits thick. Well, a cubit is, is roughly 18 inches measured from the elbow to, I think, the end of the finger, okay? It's roughly 18 inches. So that would be 200 uh, feet. So this wall is 200 feet thick. That's a pretty thick wall by man's measurement, which the angel was using. Now listen to what the, what the building materials are. And there's no, there's no uh, supply chain issues here. <laughs> he says this, the, fount, uh, the, um, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold. So when we think about jasper, I think we could probably think about this, what, what they set up in verse 11. It's shown with the glory of God and his brilliance was like that of a very, very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Okay. Um, the walls were made of jasper and the city of pure gold. So if God's going to have precious stones in heaven, right, he's probably going to have animals. And if he has animals, he's probably going to have beautiful trees. If he has trees, he's going to have other things. And whatever he's going to have is going to be a-okay with me because it's going to be gorgeous. Picture this. What's that? No bugs. No bugs. No mosquitoes, please, or flies, Lord. Yeah. So he says this. He says in verse 19, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper. Okay, so we're going to call that a diamond. The second was sapphire. And I'm trying to think about sapphire here. Dark blue. Okay, sapphire is dark blue. The third is chalcedony. I think that that is a something that we have renamed today. And I'm, I'm not. Oh, here it is, chalcedony. That's a sky blue. A sky blue stone and then the fourth emerald well an emerald is a beautiful green yes. right okay think about these colors the fifth sardonyx sardonyx is a red or white stone okay huh? sardonyx what does your say red white and blue Thanks, John. John's got a newest version of the Bible over there. Okay. Um, the sixth carnelian. Carnelian. Yeah, that's a, you say that's a red ruby. Okay. No, carnelian is an iron So what would it be? Rust color? Yeah, and, and so these these names of the of the minerals here will vary from, from different translations. Yeah. The seventh is chrysolite, yeah. and I've got that as a gold. Mm -hmm. Okay? The eighth is beryl. That's deep green. Mm -hmm. Okay? The ninth topaz. Mm -hmm. 
I've got that as yellow green. The tenth chrysophase. That's a green, a turquoise, okay, green, okay. The seventh, jacinth, I've got that as violet, okay. That wouldn't surprise me. That certainly wouldn't surprise me. The twelfth is amethyst, and I think that that's a purple. Okay? So just think about these colors. We've got a honey color and deep reds and deep greens and deep blues and gold and violet and purples. and Yeah, probably the colors of the spectrum, huh? The color spectrum. The, the oysters that made them? They're going to be some big oysters, I'll tell you that. Now, okay, so verse 21. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. Yeah, that oyster really had to squeeze that one out, I'll tell you. Ooh, ooh. You ain't going to put one of those pearls in your necklace. The great street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. So the asphalt in heaven is going to be pure, pure gold, so pure it'll be trans, transparent. And gold can be beaten into a transparency. It's, it's just amazing. I think it's the most malleable metal that there is. Malleable meaning it can be shaped. I use a big word. You get that? Malleable. Yeah. You may quote me. He says this in verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city. Why? Well, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Remember, this is the new city that's coming down. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now verse uh, one of chapter 22 gets pretty interesting here too. Then the angel, and see if you can picture this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. So we know that the great street of the city was pure gold, right? So this river is going to be flowing down the middle of the street. John 7, 39 says this. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So this river of living water, or the water of life, is going to flow from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It's going to flow down the middle of the great street of the city. Now, that's kind of hard for us to picture, um, Will there be some type of a aqueduct or something in this, in this great street? And it even gets a little more mysterious because it says this, on each side of the river stood a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit. So we're assuming 12 different crops, I don't know, yielding its fruit every month. And its leaves of the tree are for the healing, and this word healing is probably better translated health, is for the health of the nations, okay? No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb 
will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. Are oh, you got that? The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. His servants will serve him. They will see his face. And his name will be written on their foreheads. There will be no more light. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. So we've got this city with all of the foundations of those beautiful stones that we just talked about, right? It's got 12 gates, three on each side of the city. It's a big city, a 1,400 miles square. And these pearls are big enough to where one pearl makes a gate, all right? Now we've got the streets, which are transparent gold, according to the way we understand it. Think about the walls being diamonds. So think about the spectacular visual. Um, I mean, it's hard to even describe. And now we've got this river of life flowing down the middle of the street. And it says on each side of the street, we've got this, the tree of life, bearing the 12 different crops, each in its season every month. That's hard to picture. I tell you what, what I picture, and, and it's weird, I picture the tree of life as being this beautiful tree and the river and the street running down through it. Like, remember the trees that you used to drive, be able to drive your cars through? You know? And kind of the river running through it like that, and then the gold and all that. And it's just, your eyes can't envision it. Your ears can't really understand it. Neither has it entered into our imagination as much as, is there smoke coming out of here right now? <laughs> because there should be a little steam coming out right now, see? It's going to be so amazing and, so, and, and beautiful. And most of all, it's going to be real. We look at this table, it's real. We look at this as, as some type of metal, it's real, right? Heaven will be more real than these chairs, more real than these walls, more it, because it's going to be more dimensional than what we have now. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. Jesus says this in verse 7. Let me see. No, I'm, I need to go to 6. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Let me look at a reference I've got here to Peter. Let me just see if it, I wrote it down in my Bible. Let me see if it pertains to anything real quick. Hold on. It's uh, 2 Peter 1.16. What does 2 Peter 1.16 say? Oh. Yeah, it says, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. We go back to Revelation chapter 22. Verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. This could be, I mean, this is a promise. Blessings to those who keep the words of the prophecies of this book. Blessings. You're going to be blessed. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I had heard and seen them, 
I fell down to worship the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me, but he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers, the prophets, and of all who keep the words of this book, worship God. Can you imagine the Pope when people bow down to kiss his ring saying, don't do it, worship God. That's not what happens though, is it? He says this, verse 10. Then he, this angel, told me, do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book because the time is near. Boy, if it was near 2,000 years ago, it's really near now. <laughs> Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. If your mind's made up, go for it. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That's at least the third time that the book of Revelation has said that. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Falsehood. What, how would you describe falsehood? Fake news. Fake news? <laughs> I knew I shouldn't ask. To me, to me, that would be like gossip. That's falsehood. Telling, telling lies, that would definitely be falsehood. Um, backbiting, you know, uh, talking behind someone's back in a, in a, you know, in a non-complimentary way. Uh, so what, stirring up, stirring up trouble and dissension. So what, what Jesus tells John here in verse 15 is that those who practice falsehood are in the same category as those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, and the idolaters. That's serious stuff, isn't it? I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. Remember, this book, this book of Revelation, is written to the seven churches, okay? And it was to be given to the churches. He says this in verse 17, or verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say come, and let him who hears say come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from the book of this prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Wow. You know, we could start at chapter 1 all over again and get more out of it. It's just amazing. What a book. And you know what is sad, all right, is that there's so many people, so many teachers that are just kind of scared to get into it. You know, read the darn thing. Read it. Get a commentary on it, a good, uh, a good uh, conservative commentary. We read a lot of things in the book of Revelation that explained themselves, didn't we? Yeah. The re remember, 
Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. Okay? I found a book at uh, Evangel, book of Bible, and it was simply called Revelation for Dummies. <laughs> and there was another one. Uh, they had Daniel, the Corinthians, they had, and then another one was Prophecy. And I have three of them, two of them. And they, and you are right along with what their conclusions, they don't say this is absolute. They say that after all the study and discussion amongst numerous scholars of the Bible, that this is what they feel. And it goes right along with I mean, there are certain things that we can absolutely say in the yeah. book of Revelation. And there are certain things that we just have to, you know, like, like in a courtroom, have to take circumstantial evidence and kind of hope that, you know, we, we see it clearly. Do you know what the number one book on the New York best-selling, New York Times best-selling books is right now? One of Jonathan Collins? Yeah. What? Revealing Revelation 5, and here's it five. Really? Jonathan Collins, no, and here's it five. You can't say that five times fast, I guarantee <laughs> it. No, not without slurping. And here's that five. Kathleen? You're, you're so welcome. And you know, it's funny when when I said I was going to, to teach the book of Revelation again, I thought to my, this is what I thought to myself, this is gonna be easy. <laughs> I've already taught it two or three times, you know, I know it fairly well. This is this fourth time. And, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, it'll probably take me three or four months. Well, it didn't quite work out that way because I ended up studying more this time than I did the last time. And if I ever teach it again, I'll probably study more that time. And one of the things, too, that we have to remember is that the prophecies are coming true. Okay? So as, as we go further into time, we see more clearly what this book is telling us and what the prophecies of Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and the minor prophets are telling us and uh, prophecy is coming true right before our very eyes and one of these days you and I are going to be jet packed up to uh, up to heaven and uh, it's going to be awesome awesome well let's pray father in heaven thank you it's been a blessing, Lord, and you promised us a blessing. And the blessing doesn't stop here, Lord, because in your last chapter there, Lord, you said blessings to those who keep the words in this book. And so, Lord, help us to keep the words in this book. Help us to think about them and to, to, uh, to just uh, uh, chew on them and, and to pray for wisdom and discretion, understanding and knowledge as it pertains to your great word. Lord, please bless this Sunday's Bible study. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.